So Jess Seekins, many of you know Jess. Jess is our youth leader, and uh, he was doing a series and wanted a banner for his youth group, or for the youth group. And so um, he was mentioning this, and I happened to be doing a banner for the church. I said, okay, that's fine. We'll just we'll bang one out real quick. And so, so he told me what he wanted, and I got on the computer and, and put it together and then ordered it, and then it arrived, uh, you know, about a week later in the mail. Um, Taylor, I need your help with this. So I don't know if you can see this, but he was doing a series on identity. And so he, oh, we're going to switch. You're going to have to come this way. Um, so anyway, we went and I made the banner out and we, we looked at it and it looked really awesome. Identity. And, of course, I didn't see that until after it was arrived and, and everything like that. Um, we got the new one. Thankfully, the, the banner company, I just called kind of with hat in hand. And, yeah, you, would you take that and just throw, throw it down? Thanks. Um, with, like with hat in hand, yeah. We don't need, actually, that can go in the garbage now. I, I knew it would come up one of these days. Uh, so, so uh, I, you know, they gave us and sent us a new one. But I guess the point of, of why I wanted to bring that is sometimes we get so focused in on the nitty-gritty, like I was just trying to make sure, okay, did the, do I like the font, and is the size right, and is it bright enough, and, you know, did the graphics come through on the backside, and I'm just focused, I'm focused in, um, and so excited that I forgot to step back and spell check, and, and get it, the, probably the most important thing, right, is to actually have the spelling right, and, um, and instead, uh, I wish, I wish Jess was here, Jess is uh, in Texas doing some um, humanitarian work, thinning the hog population with his boys. They're on a hog hunting trip. But um, I even sent it to Jess to get his approval, and he approved it for me, too. So we, we both are on the hook for this one. But uh, anyhow, uh, we can focus sometimes so closely on the, big deal, big de- or the, the little details that we forget to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. And so this morning, uh, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to give a big picture. What is our purpose as a church? And the reason we're doing that is because... As we come to this section of Mark, we're working our way through the Gospel of Mark. As we come through this section today, what we see Jesus doing in his interaction here in these five verses of chapter 2 is, is really he's acting out what we are to be as a church to this community and to our communities. And so um, with that, we're going we're gonna to jump right in. But I wanted to give you, we've been reworking a little bit what is our purpose and our mission, um, and we've, we've We've changed it, and this is, this is what our purpose and our mission is. It says to reach, the gospel, reach with the gospel those who are close to us but are far from Christ. As a church, we are to reach with the gospel those who are close to us but are far from Christ. And so we're going to see how, how Jesus engages this mission similarly in these first um, or, 15, or five verses of chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. So go ahead and turn there, chapter 2 of Matthew, Mark. And then you can either read along, or if you don't have your Bibles today, you can look up on the screen, and it says this. And when he, that's Jesus, went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up, and he followed him. Now I want to break this down. We'll kind of go through this just a little bit here. Uh, and first off, when we look at this this picture of Jesus. First off, last week he spent a lot of time um, with people, or we looked at verses 1 through 12 where he was, he was healing um, a paralyzed man, but we oftentimes see Jesus when he's 
depicted in scripture. He's by a body of water, an ocean, a river, a lake. We'll see that oftentimes with Jesus. And sure enough, that's what's going on here. And it's really interesting, the word play here. Jesus is by the, the sea and the people are coming to him. And it's the same picture as if you ever go to the ocean or go to a river, you'll see the waves kind of lapping upon the shore. It's kind of what they do. They just kind of clap on the shore. That, that's the word picture of what it was like anytime Jesus went anywhere. They never stopped. The people always kind of continued to come over and over again. And so a few weeks ago, we talked about how important it was for Jesus to, to get away from the busyness of life to spend some solitude, some time alone with his father in prayer, just restoring his soul, um, because people are kind of always coming to him. And why were they coming to him? Well, a lot of reasons, but here it tells us that while they were coming to them, he, he was teaching them. Mark is interesting, probably more so than all of the other gospel writers. He does not give us much detail as to what it was that Jesus was teaching. Most of the time, Mark was interested in one primary theme, and we see it most of the way through the book of Mark, and that is the authority of Jesus. He, he, he talked about the authority that Jesus had um, when he spoke the word of God. He talked about the authority that Jesus has to cast out evil spirits or demons, the authority over the spirit world. Last week, we saw that he had the authority to forgive sins, and he proved that authority. He backed that authority up by healing the paralytic when they, his friends raised him or dropped him down, dropped him down through the roof, when they lowered him down through the hole in the roof. Uh, so so we, we see this picture. Mark really wants people to understand and, and grasp the idea that, that it's the authority of Jesus that's most important. Uh, so as we, as we look at this, um, we, see, we see that Jesus has the authority in life now, um, if we go back to our text, it says that he passed by and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said, follow me. Now, what is interesting about this story is that there probably was no one in that scene when this was taking place that was more surprised that Jesus singled him out than the person of Levi. And it was also probably a great surprise to Jesus's disciples as well as the people that were watching that Jesus would go to Levi this guy at a tax booth because you see a tax collector in Bible times well it's probably not too much different than the IRS today except much much worse that the stigma on a tax collector was was really bad and and so a tax collector was someone that was to be avoided I don't know if you're like this but you're you know you're walking through the store and you see someone that you just you don't want to talk to at the moment, and so you find a different aisle to go down. I know I wouldn't do that because I'm a pastor. I would never avoid conversations with people, but I'm sure maybe you have done that. Uh, but but this is kind of what it was with tax collectors. They they were to be avoided, not to be gone to. And Jesus does just the opposite. Now tax collectors they got their they got their occupation one of two ways. They either became a tax collector because they bought a franchise. In those terms, I don't know what those terms were, but they basically buy a franchise and earn the right to have a tax collecting booth in a certain region, certain city, certain town to collect certain taxes. So that was one way you became a tax collector. The other way you became a tax collector is you go down to like City Hall, you go to the government, and you would bid for the job. And the highest bidder would be the one that would earn the earn the right to have the licensing to go out and to be a tax collector. So those are the two main ways. Either way you look at it, both of those options to be a tax collector was a very expensive option. 
So to be a tax collector, you had to, you had to either come up with money or you had money. But the issue with tax collecting is not only did you have the, the franchise or that right to sell taxes, but you also had a quota. And you had to be able to reach your quota or you would be fined or you would be imprisoned. And so in order for that quota to be met, the government would give tax collectors um, a unrighteous ability to enforce their quota. And what tax collectors were known for doing, because they had to raise a lot of money, they would go out and squeeze people for their cash and for their money. And then in order to get anything above and beyond what their quota was, was what they got to keep. And so it was perfectly okay for a tax collector to, to like hire mobsters or, or bouncer-type folk to be their, their, their muscle. And so they would go around and they would squeeze people for money. Not only was that bad enough that they would do this, but they were also collecting money for um, the Roman government, which no one liked because it was an invading government that was very unrighteous and very, very um, oppressive to the people. And so there we have the tax collectors, and this is the person that Jesus came and sought out and went after. So when Jesus came to him, I'm sure he was like, what in the world is going on? Why is Jesus talking to me? And I'm sure Jesus' disciples and the the religious people are like, what in the world is he doing talking with that scumbag? And we'll see that in, in just a minute. But what's really cool about this is what happens next, the response that this tax collector has in, as it relates to Jesus coming up to him. And Le- Levi's response is simply this. He says, it, he got up and he followed Jesus. He got up and he followed him. Got up and he followed Jesus. So it would be pretty easy just to kind of read by that statement quickly, but one thing I want you to notice is that Levi, by getting up and following Jesus, he was giving up his livelihood. He was giving up his career. Unlike most all of the other disciples who were fishermen or craftsmen, they still could return to their trade at some point if, or, or even work on the side to earn money in their trade. Levi couldn't do that. When he got up to follow Christ, he was leaving behind his lucrative life because that life was so unrighteous and so unholy. You couldn't be a follower of Christ and still continue to practice and live out those ethics that it would require to be a tax collector. So he was, he was leaving everything behind. And, and the thing that's cool about this is he might have lost wealth, worldly wealth, but he gained something so much more valuable than that. And he gained eternity. He gained a relationship with Christ, a close relationship with Christ. Makes me think of what Paul says in Philippians 3. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and have counted them as rubbish, as manure, in order that I may gain Christ. As we look look at what Levi did here, I mean, it's easy for a lot of different categories of people to look at their own lives. And so you talk about students. And I know the students, when they talk about identity and talk about their identity is in Jesus, when, when we're followers of Christ, we tend as students, you can lose out on some popularity. You can lose out on social standing because when you stand up for the causes of Christ, oftentimes you will get rejected by the world around you. You'll get labeled as a religious freak or labeled as a hater, which couldn't be any more further from the truth, as we see Jesus will portray here in just a minute. For adults, oftentimes, the things that are hard to give up um, are, are things of the heart, 
giving up bitterness, giving up anger, things like this that get in the way of our following of, of Christ, serving others well is, is the stuff that's inside the heart. And uh, also for those of us who are married, we know that if we're not dying to self, like Philippians 2 says, if we're not serving our spouse sacrificially, we're really not following Christ. We're, we're staying seated in, in this picture, kind of like in our, our tax booth. And for us as a church, it can be the same, same way. If we as a church want to just kind of sit around in a, in a comfortable, holy huddle and just kind of like this is our little place. We don't want to, um, by faith, step out and, and, and reach out to this community and love this community, share the love of God with this community. And in essence, we're not following the love of Christ. And so it gives us great opportunity. When, when Jesus called Levi, Levi didn't sit there. He didn't question. He got up and he followed. He stood up. It was an active process. And it just kind of points us to the question, is there, is there anything in my life? Is there anything in your life? And I would guess that if we're honest, we all could say yes to this. What is it in, in our lives that is, is keeping us or holding us back from following Christ? Is it something that we haven't done what Paul has done here and counted it as a loss, but we're still kind of hanging on to it? And that could be something physical. That could be something uh, intangible. It can be a relationship. It can be all kinds of things that may be holding us back from following Christ with absolute abandonment. So when we say this is what we're about, we're, we're about reaching with the gospel those who are close to us but far from far from Christ, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the willingness to give up anything as a church so that we can reach out to those that are lost and love those that are lost. So there's one other really cool thing before we go on to point two that I wanted to look at with this story of Levi. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Levi, his name changes after he goes to follow Jesus. At some point in time, his name changes from Levi to, does anybody know? To Matthew. And do you know what's significant about Matthew? Matthew, it's the same man that wrote the gospel that precedes the gospel of Mark. Same, same guy, Matthew. So what's interesting here is he gets up to follow Christ and he is losing a very lucrative lifestyle. And, and yet he will end up becoming one of the most famous, well-known authors of all time, of all of human history. And so that's one of these things. Levi was a tax collector. He was the guy that the religious people hated. He was the guy that the irreligious people hated. He was the guy that, that no one wanted to look to, um, that everyone despised. And I guess it just kind of leads to this point specifically. It leads to the point that, that don't give up. Don't give up on people that God hasn't given up on yet. Because there's people in our lives... And there's people in our town that we can see when we're at the trading post or when we're at the gas station or when they cut us off, and hopefully not when we cut them off on the one of a few ways to get out of town, that we can think because we've seen them. Whether, Regardless of where they come from, we can think that's just a lost cause. Uh, but the reality is that we are called to, to love them. And God hasn't given up on them, and we can't give up on them either. Uh, so practically, what does this look like? Marshall alluded to it. Uh, we said last week that on the 25th of this month is opening ceremonies. Jess is going to be there to do the opening prayer for, for the baseball season. And there's five or six business owners in our church that are sponsoring teams. This is the biggest sporting event, one of the biggest activities that our town does. And so it should be the thing that we as a church 
support in whatever way that we possibly can. And what we've asked is that we would show up. We would show up to support those opening ceremonies. And then just while we're sitting there and watching the ceremonies, we can look out at the people that God has placed close to us. um, And we can quietly speak prayers of love towards these people because they are the Levi's very possibly. Uh, Maybe they're especially, and I see here this a lot in a small town. There's people that have lived in this town for a long time and you guys know each other. And the idea that that person could come to Christ, oh, you have no idea what that person did to me when I was younger. I had someone walk in here, I don't know if I've shared this story, but they walked in here and they saw someone else that they knew from a number of years ago. And they said to me, if that person comes to this church, I'm never coming to this church. Well, the difference is this. That person was a Levi and now they're a Matthew. And, and that's what we should be about. We should be about reaching out to the Levi's, the, the, those in our culture that is hated by everybody else, so that they can follow Christ and become, become a Matthew, uh, become a follower of him. So what does this practically look like? How do we actually do that? Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. He, he shows us. It's the second thing here. He, he becomes a friend of sinners. It's not politically correct to call people sinners. I can do it for two reasons. Well, two that I'm going to mention. One, the Bible does, and so that's enough. But secondly, I can because I'm one of them, and so are you. Um, Well, that's a song. Uh, And and so uh, when we look at at this, this concept of befriending sinners, this is the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God came into the world to save sinners, just like me. Paul, who he said he was of the worst of those sinners. So our call as we reach out with the gospel, to love people with the gospel, uh, we are befriending the, those that have not received, have not brought the love of God into their life. And look at how Jesus does it here specifically. It says, and it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for they were many of them, and they were following him. One of the beauties about Jesus And I think we probably all know this, but one of the beauties about Jesus is that he had this magnetic power. Regardless of where you came from, whether you were rich or poor, whether you were religious or not religious, whether you were moral or immoral, people were completely drawn to him. And and so that led to a place where he is invited to Levi's, it's believed to be Levi's home, and he's reclining with them and he's having a meal with them. He's, he's hanging out. He's having a party with all of these wretched, sinful people. And then it says, uh, it says this, it says in verse 16, and the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? As if that's like the very worst thing that he could possibly do. And in their mind, it actually was. In the religious people's mind of that day, it was absolutely the case. That was a terrible thing. But it's interesting. I find it, these guys are like wimps because it, notice they didn't go to Jesus and ask, hey, Jesus, why are you doing this? They go to his disciples and say, hey, so why is it that your, your rabbi, your teacher, your savior is doing this kind of thing? And I'm sure they do that because he knows he's, he's good at kind of calling out their heart condition and they were probably tired of having him um, attack or attack them or correct them in in um, a public setting Um, just goes to show and i i know you're this way and i'm this way but i'll oftentimes hear people say 
Um, the reason I don't accept the love of God in my life, the reason I, whether you want to use the terminology, become a Christian, the reason I don't go to church in, is that I'm just not worthy. I'm just not worthy to do it. I'm not worthy to go to church. Um, I've done these things in my past. I'm, a, I'm a, maybe a modern-day tax collector or I'm a sinner. And, um, and the reality is, and the, the glory of the gospel is, you're, it's, it's a true statement. No one is worthy. No one is worthy to come before God. The only person that's worthy is what the gospel teaches, and that's Jesus. And that's why we place our faith in Christ, and when we place our faith in Christ, it's his worthiness that makes us worthy before God. It's not a whole bunch of rules or regulations or laws that we keep. Those things are part of our faith, but they don't bring salvation to us. Salvation only comes through faith in Jesus. So he was really good at befriending sinners, which led to the point that Ryan read so perfectly up here in Romans 5, 6 through 8. It says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God, in his own love for us, demonstrates this, that while we were still sinners... And continuing to be sinners, Christ died for us. That is worthy of celebration. That is awesome stuff. One of the best ways that we can befriend sinners, befriend the lost, one of the best ways we can do that is what Jesus is seen doing here still today. Uh, is opening our homes up to them. A lot of times we open our homes up to family. We open our, and, and that can be painful enough sometimes, um, but we open our friends up to family or to, to friends uh, that think like us. But here, Jesus was spending time with people that he wasn't expected to spend time with. And there's something powerful about opening the doors of your home and, right, and inviting in someone that doesn't believe in the gospel to be able to just share, to love, um, to, to give them a meal, enjoy that time with them. Um, but when you do that, it leads to the third point. And this is, this is where I think a lot of stuff goes south when it comes to the Christian faith. And uh, we have to be really careful as a church. And that's the third point that we see here is that we need to be able to speak truth to speak truth mark 2:17 it says and hearing this jesus said to them and hearing this jesus said to them it is not those who are healthy who need a physician but those who are sick i did not come to call the righteous but i came to call sinners most of christianity can tend to to go two ways after they come to know christ um, and i'm just going to use some real general terms here and um, it's sometimes unfair to do this, but I'm going to do this generally so we can we kind of put things in perspective because I see both of these. It seems like and it tends that older Christians, Christians that are, have walked with Christ for a long time, that are older in age, um, tend to, tend to in general, uh, kind of see the world as this evil, dark place and look down their nose at sinners, and people like that, and, and kind of huddle up, and yeah, we know that the gospel is for them, but, you know, they're so far out there, they're retrobates, they're never going to be able to come to know Christ, and so we just kind of separate ourselves. That's one extreme example. On this side, over here, tends to be a younger uh, Christianity community, tends to, on this side, um, do the opposite look at the older Christians and say, 
oh, you know, they're too religious. They're too much like Pharisees. I'm not going to be that way. Um, I'm going to be friends of sinners, and so I'm just going to hang out with these sinners. And when they do that, what really takes place is the sinners, uh, the lost people, tend to influence these younger believers um, in such a way that almost leads them and, and, and stir, pulls them away from the, the love of God in their lives because they get caught up in the behavior that is sinful and the thinking that is, that is sinful. Those are two drastic categories. And what we see Jesus doing here is the opposite. Jesus comes in, he, he befriends sinners, and then he speaks truth into their life. He's there for the purpose of teaching them truth. He's not just there to sit and to eat and drink with them and say, hey, everything's cool, everything's okay. He is, he is doing something that comes at the end of this book, and one of my, probably one of my very favorite stories, when he, he, he's with a woman who, who's caught in adultery. And he, he comes to this woman who's caught in adultery and everyone's wanting to stone her and he protects her. He protects her physically. He protects his heart. He looks at her and he said, um, after telling the crowds, those of you who have no sin, you cast the first stone. They all, it says they all go away. And he comes to her in a, in a kind of an intimate moment and says to her, says, where are your accusers now? And she says, they've left. And then he says, what? He says, nor do I stand here and accuse you. Go now and sin no more. Go now and sin no more. So he, he, he loves her, he cherishes her, and then he, in a, in a loving, gentle way, speaks truth into her life and raises the bar and, say, and says, you know, I love you, you're okay in my eyes, but go and live a life worthy of our relationship. And so he speaks truth in a really, in a really powerful, powerful way, to to uh, to them and to and to us. Now the, the interesting thing here, there's a, a couple a couple quotes that I want to look at. We were asked when we sponsored the Little League, we were asked to um, to put something on our banner, and so it has our name and, and our information. And I was wrestling with like, well, what do I put on our banner? Do I put our mission statement? Our, our, our purpose, our goal, our mission is to reach with the gospel those who are close to us but far from Christ. And, you know, I guess we could do that, but would that connect with someone that doesn't know churchy language? Probably not so much. And so I really was, I was studying this verse, verse 17, and I thought, you know what, this is, this is great. And so I, I instead changed it, and this is what our sign's going to read. It says, imperfect people welcome here. You'll be in good company. So when we look at that sign that's going to be hanging up out on the board out there, it's going to, it's going to communicate, and then, under, and then right underneath it in parentheses, it says Mark 2.17. 2, so hopefully people will go to the Bible and read that Jesus came not to the healthy but the sick, not to the righteous but the sinners. And that's the glory of the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel of Christ, is that he comes to those people um, that need him. The Christian faith is not for good people. Uh, it is for sinful people. It's for bad people. The Christian faith is for people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's not for people who think they are righteous or can in their own way attain righteousness. Another quote here that I came across this week. says, there's a lot of people out there speaking truth with no love, and there are a lot of people talking about love with very little truth. Uh, good, good quote, good statement. I think that kind of can surmise the two extremes that I, that I talked about here. When we look at Jesus, the context of his day, he was in a day where religion was a huge deal. 
things were very religious and morality was very high. So there was lots of religion and lots of morality. Moral character was important. If we look at the context of our day, it is the exact opposite of that. We live in an incredibly irreligious society where people might talk about spirituality, but religion is low on people's priority lists. And I think we all know, too, it is a very low moral standard that we have today. Very, very low. Two completely different opposite ends of the spectrum. And if we think about it like this, Jesus came in that day in a very moral, very religious culture, and he was hated by the religious people for befriending the, the unloving, unholy, dirty people. Many think today that if Christ was to come today, he would be murdered for the very opposite reason for why he was murdered then. He would be murdered because he would condemn good people. He would condemn those people that, that are good in their own eyes, but have very, very low moral standards. Completely opposite situation, which is why, which is why when we talk about our mission as a church, why we want to reach with the gospel those who are close to us and far from him, how important, how important that mission is, is because there's people that need the love of God in their life. And honestly, I'll just say this, they need you in their life. I know you. And they need to know your story. They need to know your heart. They need to know your love in their lives. And I am, I'm just overly encouraged in the direction that we are going. I'm encouraged in the history of the church that has stood out through the, through the 50, 60-year history, always wanting, to, always wanting to, to reach the people that are in this town. And uh, I think we're at a place where we're going to continue in that as we're making steps of, steps of faith and steps of growth to, to move into that area. Uh, but the, the charge this morning is, is just simply this, to pursue our purpose, to follow Christ, to befriend sinners, and to speak the truth into the lives of those that we befriend. Let's, uh, let's invite the worship team back up as we close in prayer.